drop. Hi, everyone. My name's Christian Wynn, the director of Storyfort, and you found Storyfort Presents Voices of Treefort Music Fest, which is a weekly podcast that dives into the stories behind Boise's Festival of Discovery. Treefort Music Fest brings in hundreds of artists from all over the globe every March, normally, this year. We have been postponed until September, but we're here to tell you about all things Treefort, and today we have an interesting, cool episode from a bunch of Storyfort artists who um, we recruited to make some videos, kind of reaching out to our fans and just to people um, in the arts community here in Boise and beyond. So there's nine different artists who have been a part of Storyfort or who are going to be um, in September and moving forward, uh, kind of giving you four five-minute videos, um, the audio here, of course, not the actual video, but just of where they're where they are as artists right now, what they're doing in the world is we're all sort of, uh, you know, socially distancing, kind of sheltering in place, kind of at an uncertain time, what kind of art they're making or just kind of what they want to share with, you know, with the world um, as far as books coming out, as far as uh, interesting fan letters they've gotten in the past, um, and just kind of how to write through grief and those kind of things and figuring out, uh, you know, the place of art in this kind of wild world we're living in. But, um, yeah, we really hope you're all doing well. Um, our team is holding up, doing, uh, doing what we can to, you know, stay connected with you all here. So, yeah, we, uh, I don't know. Like I said, it's an interesting place and time, and uh, we hope these kinds of things uh, will help everybody have a little bit of a, a better feeling and understanding about the world and humanity and, and who we all are. So thanks for finding us here. Um, we want to say thanks also to Eavesdrop Studios, who helped put this thing out into the world for us, as well as uh, Up is the Down is the who is uh, who has generously provided our theme music. And... Uh, here we go. Here's some voices of Tree Fort Music Fest. So enjoy. Okay, so first up in our lineup of artists giving us their lives within the pandemic reality um, is uh, Carrie Kellan, who's somebody who came to us a little bit late in the process of uh, planning for Story Fort 2020. And we are super excited to have her as a historical, um, I should say, an historical fiction writer. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, Carrie Callahan is the author of the historical novels A Light of Her Own and Salt the Snow. Her short stories have been published in multiple literary journals around the country, and she is a senior editor with the Washington Independent Review of Books. She lives in Maryland with her family and two ridiculous cats, which I look forward to talking with her about. She loves the seasons, all the seasons, she says, and history and tea. So that's kind of her official bio on the... Storyport website um, and what she puts out there on her own website. And I am super excited to get her here in September for us just to talk about, you know, 
you know, a little bit of aftermath, hopefully, of what's been going on lately. She talks about, you know, sort of this historic time and maybe how it will be written about. She goes back into um, in her audio slash what is video on our Facebook um, page. If you want to go check that out, the Story Force Facebook page populates all these videos that you're going to hear the audio of. And it just is like history semi-repeating itself or history like sort of taking on different narratives and like humans within the narratives is what she deals with in her historical fiction novels. So she's going to get to that along with a few other things. And uh, I don't know, just sort of relating what is going on now in history in uh, April of uh, 2020 and what went on back in the day um, in Russia. So she's got that for you. So enjoy. Hello, my name is Carrie Callahan, and I am a historical novelist here to talk about my second book, Salt the Snow. I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone at StoryFort in September, but until then, I'm excited to share a little bit about my writing and life as we all are trying to get through it in these unusual times. So I thought I would do a little bit of reading from Salt the Snow and talk to you about some of my research processes and kind of why historical fiction in this moment. Hi, kitty cat. Um, we're in my writing space, by the way, which is a little bit of a mess, but not hopefully not too bad. So as I read, I'm going to be showing you this picture of Millie Bennett, who is the subject of my novel. She was a real woman who was a journalist in Moscow in the 1930s. And side by side with that photo are some of the research books that I used. This excerpt is from the beginning of the novel when Millie is arriving to visit her Russian husband from a night out. Millie had her boots on, so she stepped right through a dip in the snowbank and onto the sidewalk. The cold burned her nose and made her glasses fog up, and yet there was still something beautiful about a Moscow night. As soon as the weather warmed, she and Senya, her husband, would have to go for one of their nighttime walks again. It had been so long since they had, and by springtime he would have fewer opera rehearsals to occupy him. She cleared her glasses with the wool of her gloved fingertips. There, parked a little way down from where she stood, was a black automobile. Millie's breath caught. None of Senya's neighbors owned a car. No ordinary Russian did. The Soviet Union was still learning how to make cars, and there weren't enough imports to go around for anyone except the government. The light of the single street lamp caressed the smooth curves of the Ford. A shiver even colder than the winter air drilled through her. So in that first chapter, Millie's husband, Senya, is arrested by the secret police, and she doesn't know why. Um, and that propels some of the beginning drama of the book. Now, one of the reasons I like looking at historical fiction is because it's sort of a solace to me, and particularly in times like this, to know that humans have often lived in difficult and challenging times, and that we've found ways to persevere and maybe even to overcome those difficult times. Um, and the 1930s, when Millie lived, certainly were no exception to that. Moscow and Russia, more broadly, were going through really 
interesting moment, first coming out of the hardship, economic hardship of the 1920s, and then as Senya's arrest kind of presages, moving into the Stalinist purges of the mid and late 1930s. So I hope that uh, all of you are able to find some solace in these dark times, whether it's looking at history or escapist fiction. This here is my to-be-read shelf, which includes um, Four Tales of Troubled Love by fellow Storyfort author Matthew James Babcock. Really looking forward to all the extra time I'll have to read now that we are mostly at home. I wish you all good reading and lots of inspiration and love. Hope to see you in September. Bye. Okay, so next up we have Mary Lowry, Mary Pauline Lowry, whose novel, The Roxy Letters, has just come out from Simon & Schuster. Uh, She's been a friend of Storyforts for a number of years now, and this is a great human, has a great sense of humor, and is somebody who we've really enjoyed working with, various workshops, for, for readings through the MFA program where she graduated at Boise State University. And she's a regular contributor to O Magazine, and her work has also appeared in the New York Times, the New York, New York Times Magazine, The Millions, and numerous other publications. And as mentioned, the Roxy Letters is out in the world right now. So she's going to talk a lot about that with this uh, clip here and read a section and just kind of speak to um, – the place of humor in our current state of affairs. So Mary Pauline Lowry, enjoy. Hi, Tree Fort and Story Fort fans. My name is Mary Pauline Lowry, and I'm the author of the comedic novel, The Roxy Letters. Now, if you're looking for a book to cheer you up, something really funny and escapist, this book is for you. It's also great for anyone who loved Bridget Jones' Diary or Where'd You Go, Bernadette? Now, the novel is written in letters from Roxy to her ex-boyfriend, Everett, who is living in her spare bedroom and totally failing to pay rent. And he's also blocking her mojo. Roxy is artistically and sexually stymied. She's underemployed. She works at the deli of the flagship Whole Foods in Austin, Texas, back before Amazon bought Whole Foods. And she's kind of bummed about the ways that her hometown is growing and changing and becoming more corporatized. But she feels like it's the last straw when her favorite indie video store closes down and is replaced by a Lululemon. So she decides to take action. And with the help of her two best friends and Venus, who's her favorite planetary deity, she starts to make moves to really help save her hometown. So I'm gonna read you a page. I'll read the first page. Prologue, June 14th, 2012, regarding ground rules. Dear Everett, perhaps I've invited you to move into my spare bedroom against my better judgment. But while living with an ex-boyfriend is never a good idea, I really need the money. Last week, Roscoe, that irascible little wiener dog, ate not one, but two pairs of my underwear and my fancy thongs at that. The resulting $600 emergency room vet bill, combined with my barely over minimum wage employment and sizable mortgage, has made a housemate a financial necessity. When you called to report you were getting kicked out of your highly desirable backyard shack, aka the Bat Cave, because your landlady's daughter called dibs, the perfect timing of our crises was like a sign from Venus. While normally I would have reservations about the possibility of a successful platonic roommate situation between former lovers, 
It's been years since we broke up, and we've been getting along great since reuniting as friends. So I have high hopes we can both handle this mutually beneficial and temporary living arrangement. So if you'd like to buy a copy of the Roxy Letters, I would ask you to support an indie bookstore. Many indies are closed right now and are taking online orders. Bookshop.org is a great place to find your local indie. Um, so you could buy a book from Rediscovered here in Boise or Book People in Austin, Texas or any other fabulous indie. So go to bookshop.org and search for the Roxy Letters. And I really, really appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Okay, everybody. Next up is going to be a fantastic poet, essayist, understander of uh, larger things than all of us, um, C.L. Young. She's going to read a bit of her, I don't know, just her first state of mind, written very poetically. I don't quite know what she would want to qualify this as, but uh, this is from just... Maybe in the early, I guess it was in the on the 20th of March, so in the early part of the whole sort of like shelter in place, get away from each other, um, which threw her into a, I don't know, a, an artistic sort of quandary, like figuring out what the heck she should write about and how. And uh, we've been friends like with her for a while at Storyfort and she's somebody who holds an MFA in poetry from Colorado State University. She lives in Boise again now, which is wonderful for us because she's a great asset to our artistic community. And among other things, um, she runs a reading and workshop series called SEMA. And um, we are collaborating with SEMA at Storyfort uh, in September and uh in future years hopefully hopefully we just uh you know it really value katie cl young and her her work and so here's what she has to say enjoy hello um my name is cl young and i am at home i put on some lipstick today which is a big development um yeah, just been spending a lot of time going on walks and uh, trying to work a little bit. I've been writing a little every day, trying to catalog this time. Um, yeah, at first I thought that I wanted to wait to write anything about it until I could understand it better or... Um, look at it from farther away and then I realized that uh, I think it makes more sense for me to try to write a little bit every day so I'm doing that and putting it up on my Instagram if you feel like following along at all but um, yeah I'm just gonna read you the installment from March 20th in the interview, the writer said it was easy to make the book alive because while everyone was dying, each day was a taut string. This is what I have thought of. This is what I have thought of March since I was 12 with a spike again at 22. All month, I trick myself, write a 20-day poem, be on a mountain, see the ocean. 
Passing through it, even with years layered on, is the memory of never being still. A walk across the bridge between Fremont and Queen Anne, a walk where the boats are, a walk down the stairs, sitting long enough to watch Sarah Michelson's devotion, then drinking until I knew how to cry. A letter, a miniature deer, a knocked out tooth. It felt like flying. Now is not that, but a different kind of tot. Less of me to spread out, more ability to hold. Gee, in my living room three weeks ago, thinking about scales, thinking through what today I feel and what waits until tomorrow. Two weeks ago, the bottom half of a poem I didn't mean to write. Richard said the world has ended already. Now we're just watching how grief is here. Even though I've answered, how are you with good for more than two weeks? I'm listening to 36 voicemails from my friends and not erasing what their voices had to say on normal days in the middle of our lives before they were over. Time moving and exponential quickening the state of things three months ago, clothed in footnotes. The same reason I won't tell anyone who to vote for. I guess we're going underground, Claire says, from Subway, New York City, 2018, where I should no longer visit her because it takes flying. A car with a bumper sticker to save the whales reminds me my one job is to take two pieces of what's shattered and put them together. What I, when I don't know how long till I'm walking by the river is a measure of history, and it's a privilege to imagine losing us just one by one the old relief of hearing no need to call back. Everyone I love is inside this, spread across the country trying to understand which power they've got. Seattle, Los Angeles, Albuquerque, Denver, Bozeman, Rhode Island, Indianapolis, Portland, Haley, New York. Last week I saw a play about all the reasons not to die. It was the last normal thing I did. Catherine Kyle is the author of Shelter in Place, Coronations, and other collections. Her writing has appeared, or is forthcoming, in Midwestern Gothic, Mid-American Review, Bellingham Review, and other journals, and has been honored by the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Alexa Rose Foundation, and other organizations. She is an assistant professor at the College of Western Idaho, where she teaches creative writing and literature. Her website is www.catherinebaileykyle.com. In this next clip, she shares some hope, talks about a neat project she's been working on, and reads a wonderful poem. Hi, everybody. Well, it's March 29th, and um, today I was supposed to be giving a workshop that was a crossover event between Kid Fort and Story Fort um, on comics. And obviously that's not happening, um, but in the spirit of that, I have been working for the past couple of days on a project that uses images and words, um, kind of like a comic. Um, and it was something I'd never done before. It's a poetry broadside. Um, and if you don't know what a broadside is, it's just a poem and an image put together um, in some kind of new way. So uh, usually they're made with a letterpress, and I don't have a letterpress, unfortunately. Uh, but my mom very kindly gave me a rubber stamp carving kit about a year ago um, that I had been meaning to use. I had been excited to try it out, uh, but I just hadn't gotten around to it. So I thought, now's the time. 
Um, so I carved a rubber stamp and um, I had some pretty paper just kind of, again, hanging out around the house. And uh, so I made a broadside. Um, and I was a little bit scared to do it, honestly, just because it's new and it's scary to do new things. Um, but part of the reason I decided to do it, in addition to just wanting to kind of honor the spirit of comics, um, was that I've been seeing so many brave and creative acts in our community right now, in our community and beyond, um, where people are just, they're just going for it. They're just looking out for each other and um, taking care of each other and relating to each other and connecting with each other in ways that they don't necessarily have models for. They're just doing it themselves. Um, and that's really inspiring. It's really courageous, I think. And um, there's just a ton of it going on right now. So um, I decided to just kind of go for it too and try something new. Um, so when I was thinking about what poem to use for this, uh, I was thinking about my book um, that came out last September called, oddly enough, Shelter in Place. Um, and the book was written a couple years ago when I was feeling very um, anxious and upset about some of the systems in society that value profit over people um, and that value apathy over empathy. So a lot of the book uh, deals with that and the kind of anxiety that comes out of living in a society like that. Um, however, there are some poems in there that also um, kind of look, again, look for the resilience and look for the ways that people are pushing back um, and finding new ways to live, new ways that value empathy um, and kindness and togetherness and things like that. Um, so this is one of those poems. Um, it's called Through the Cracks. And I'll just read it to you real quick and then show you the broadside. Through the cracks. There is depth in the city if you look through the cracks. A slumbering wreath of magnolia blossoms, shivering with bees. It is gold, 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 and a stir and a hum. And now look, it is just waking up. Okay, so that's the poem, short little poem. Um, and here's the broadside I made out of it. Um, so as you can see, it's got the bees and the magnolia wreath. Um, and again, it's just kind of, to me, a metaphor for hope, um, even in difficult places and difficult times. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of hope right now, even in these difficult times. So thank you to everyone who's been inspiring me and thank you to everyone um, who is uplifting art and making art um, and celebrating art in these times. And I will hope to see you soon. Stay safe. Okay, so up next we have August McLaughlin, who has been a friend of Storyports also for a few years now. She's come up um, and been a part of our wonderful festival. She's come up from the, the Los Angeles area. And August is somebody who is a nationally recognized journalist, media personality, and she's a podcaster. She's a host and producer, and she's best known for her empowerment brand and book series, Girl Boner. Um, and the podcast, Girl Boner Radio, is something that's a really cool uh, podcast and just kind of, uh, I don't know, a sexual empowerment sort of uh, piece of art. And we really recommend going out and finding that. But she's going to talk about, you know, taking care of yourself and what she's been doing and in this time um, in our kind of wild world. But uh, we recommend, like I said, going and seeking out Girl Boner Radio and August in general. And here she comes with some good advice for all of us. 
I'm August McLaughlin. I'm a health and sexuality writer and host of the podcast Girl Boner Radio, where I explore sexual empowerment for everyone. My latest books are Girl Boner and Girl Boner Journal. I'm going to read a story that I posted on my blog some years ago. It's called Make Like Zoe, Savor the Shade. I was walking my dog recently on one of those scorching summer days that turns the pavement into a frying pan. She was panting along, racing as fast as her heat-sensitive paws would carry her. Then we reached a shady splotch. Within a second, she went from overheated, get-me-out-of-here struggling to full-fledged savoring. A smile stretched across her bulldog face and added glints to her eyes. She looked up at me as if to say, oh yeah, now we're talking. Isn't this the best? Out went my concerns over rushing back home and to work and the heat effects on both of us. Here in the middle of heat incarceration, Zoe was taking a beloved vacation. I decided to join her. Plunking down on the grassy patch, I inhaled the sweet fragrance of the magenta flowers I hadn't noticed in my umpteen thousand walks by. I admired a swirling design on the side of a tree watched a butterfly flit past, swallowed a gulp of fresh air, and felt myself calming and cooling down with my shade-loving pal. It struck me then that without the heat, we never would have had that experience. If it takes rain to make rainbows, perhaps it takes heat to observe and appreciate what we already have. No matter how sweltering life gets, we can seek shade. Those bits of respite that cool things down, if even for a few minutes, if we choose not to pause and savor, we could rob ourselves of valuable lessons, new experiences, and gratitude. Three ways to seek and savor the shade. When finances are tight, rather than go to a restaurant, take a picnic to a park. Instead of the theater or bookstore, hit your local library. Volunteer. When creative juices seem slight, Take a break, go for a walk or hike, take a bubble bath, connect with like-minded friends, see a movie, meditate. When you feel overwhelmed, torn, or stifled, make like H.G. Wells who said, sometimes you have to step outside of the person you've been and remember the person you were meant to be, the person you want to be, the person you are. Stop doing whatever it is you're doing and hating. Ask yourself if that job or activity supports who you are and wish to be. Hot feelings can guide us to cooler places if we let them. That just felt kind of appropriate right now. <laughs> uh, gosh, my writing life has been interesting. I'm thankfully still doing my, my medical and health writing. Uh, I'm grateful to already work primarily from home and I've been recording my show from home, which has been a challenging new experience. And I'm also working on a new book project, and that's been a bit challenging uh, rather than diving in with this gusto that I would typically have, you know, stress and the things that are happening in the world um, have really, you know, made me feel the need to kind of ease in and take baby steps. And I think that's a good thing. I had to remind myself, and I think it's okay to, to know that if you feel stuck, <laughs> sometimes taking those breaks giving ourselves that grace, whatever we can do to really prioritize self-care and know that this doesn't have to be this like ultra productive time. The most important thing is that we take care of ourselves and, and others. 
And uh, gosh, stories are so important. If you are a writer and feel inclined to express yourself in that way right now, please, please do. I so believe that stories connect us and can truly and do truly better the world. It's another reason I love StoryForge, this celebration of, of voices and stories. So keep reading, keep expressing, keep giving yourself grace to, to have those breaks. And uh, thank you so much for watching or listening. Okay. So coming at you next is Lyd Havens, who has been a friend of StoryForge and TreeFort um, and the whole Boise arts community for some time now. And let me tell you a little bit about Lyd. Uh, Lyd Havens is a nationally touring queer poet and performer currently living in Boise, Idaho. Their work has previously been published in Winter Tangerine, Glass, a journal of poetry, and Tinderbox Poetry Journal, among others. The winner of the 2018 Ellipsis Poetry Prize and the 2019 Write Bloody finalist, they are the author of the chapbook, I Gave Birth to All the Ghosts Here as well as multiple self-published chapbooks. Lid is currently working towards a BFA in creative writing and history at Boise State University and serves as a co-organizer of the Boise Poetry Slam. They were born on their due date and have been intensely punctual to everything since that time. So without further ado, Lid is punctual, and here they are. Hi from Arizona. Uh, originally, I was just going to be here to visit my family for a few days, be with my parents. Um, and now I'm here for the foreseeable future. So that's mostly what I've honestly been up to uh, since Tree Fort got rescheduled. Uh, I hope everybody is staying as safe as they can, staying home, doing what they can just to be okay in these strange and trying times. I know I'm personally just sort of taking it one day at a time and doing what I can, but Right now, I am going to share a poem. Um, it's actually an excerpt of a poem. I'm going to read about a page and a half. The whole thing is probably about eight or nine pages. Um, it's about a lot of things, as most poems are. Um, it's about, I guess, just reflecting on grief and the toll that grief takes on somebody. But also about um, trying to be optimistic about the future and... Um, specifically the new year. I wrote this at the beginning of 2020 when I still thought this was going to be a fun and cool year. Um, so in that sense, maybe this poem has not aged well, but um, yeah. So here's an excerpt of it. It is called The Sunlight. In the postscript of that spiteful year, I could only focus on where I was not. Forgive me. I was teething on roses, my mouth so bloody it became a bouquet all its own. My womanless frame wandered aimlessly from state line to state line, avoiding eye contact with everyone. This included the mirror. The living room was overflowing with bouquets and everyone kept apologizing to me as almost as much as I apologized to them. I'm sorry I'm so quiet. My grandfather died in that corner, and he never finished the book I got him for Christmas. I tried reading it to him while he drifted, but every passage was about death. I have my father's chest and my mother's throat. The scars on my back never shut up. I always hold the bottle cap on the edge of my teeth while I pour, 
my top lip curled like a candle's wick. Of course, everything overflows. What are we owed? Maybe the answers stain us. Forgive me. I was tired of chairs without backs, of instant coffee and telling hospice nurses who I am without giving them my name. My first gift to myself is the new year, two hours early. In Florida, I wear black velvet and drink apple cider straight from the dancer-necked bottle. The ball drops, and I laugh for ten minutes straight, hysterical and headstrong and honey-dripped. My friend TC says, if your mind is a wasteland, stillness is a rhythm. Susan Orlean writes, Sometimes I think I've figured out some order in the universe, but then I find myself in Florida. In the December-January humidity and the carnivorous leaves, I find my new order. I stare the passage of time in the face, and I stay perfectly still. <sighs> that really was optimistic of me, wasn't it? Um... Yeah, uh, this poem is also part of a manuscript I've been working on for a couple years that I recently decided I wasn't 100% happy with. So hopefully I'll get some time to redo it, rewrite it, rearrange it, etc. And I'll have some new poems to share in September. Um, that's all I got. Um, stay safe out there. Keep doing what you've got to do. And... I'll see you all in September. Bye. Okay. So up next is going to be Kim Cross, who was going to be a part in March of a really cool event um, at Storyport about uh, the intersection of sports and literature. Um, so that's been postponed until, as mentioned, September 23rd through 27th um, of 2020. But Kim, let me tell you a little bit about her. So Kim Cross is the New York Times bestselling author of What Stands in a Storm, a literary nonfiction account of the biggest tornado outbreak in history. A full-time freelance writer, she writes for Outside, Bicycling, Bike, and ESPN.com with two stories anthologized in Best American Sports Writing. Um, Kim is a national champion water skier. She has competed in ten, 10 sports, only one of which involved a ball. Though she once threw the opening pitch wearing heels and a skirt, she lives in Boise, where she teaches creative nonfiction at Boise State University and coaches a high school mountain bike team. So here comes Kim. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Kim Cross, and I want to read you one of my favorite stories. It's called Noel Leon, a true story from the middle of somewhere. Once upon a road in Kazakhstan, two men converge in the desert. Strangers born an ocean apart, riding bicycles burdened like camels. They emerge from either horizon, slowly approaching a common point. Day by day, hour after hour, they make their way through a land as flat and featureless as a page without words. Thousands of miles spool out behind them. Thousands more lie ahead. One rides east, the other west. For months now, each has been pedaling alone through sun, wind, rain, and snow climbing mountains, crossing plains, and loading his bike onto boats to float across minor seas. Now, on a Sunday morning in August, they soldier down an unpaved Soviet road that never seems to bend. 
The only sound is tires crunching on gravel, and, now and then, the lonely roar of a truck hurrying between two somewheres. The earth spins, the sun rises. Long shadows shrink into puddles of shade beneath their spinning wheels. From dawn to dusk, in every direction, the landscape looks the same. The only thing that changes is the angle of the sun. Then, through the shimmering heat, a blur appears on their common horizon and gradually comes into focus. A simple white box of a building on the edge of the dusty road. Next to it, a metal shipping container marked by a hand-painted word. Tricana, a tea house where travelers can find water, food, and shade. The nearest city on the Caspian Sea is 235 miles away. Here, under a noon Kazakh sun, two sagas by chance eclipse. The American was six feet tall, 200 pounds, smiling through the scraggly beard of a traveler who hadn't seen a shower in days. He's 27 years old. The Brit is five foot seven, 143 pounds, smiling through a blue bandana and a slightly darker beard. He's 26 years old. What the hell are you doing here? Says the American. What the hell are you doing here? Says the Brit. It's the first time in days they have opened their mouths to speak their native tongue. When had they last encountered a fellow traveler on two wheels? Each ogles the other's bicycle, two wildly different animals beneath the same desert dusk. The strangers introduce themselves. I'm Noel, says the American, who is riding east. I'm Leon, says the Brit, riding west. You can find out what happens next if you go read the rest of the story uh, on bicycling.com. Thanks for listening and hope you stay safe and sane. Okay. So coming up next, we have Kelly Harwood, who is a friend of uh, Story Ford and Tree Ford as well and has been someone who's uh, lives in Boise, Idaho now and uh, was scheduled to be part of a cool and interesting uh, workshop on writing through grief. Um, which is something she does in her nonfiction um, and has done and has a few tips for us here um, in this kind of interesting time, shall we say, in the world. But let me tell you a little bit about Kelly. Um, Kelly Harwood is a humor writer, artist, and creator of The Rosie Pages. She received her MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts in 2015 and is currently at work on a book-length memoir. Her work has appeared in Quaint Magazine, Detours, a cabin anthology, Queen Mob's Tea House, Assay, a journal of nonfiction studies, as well as other print and online publications. Kelly lives in Boise with her husband, a bunch of kids, two dogs, and sadly, she is allergic to cats. So here comes Kelly Harwood. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. It's Kelly Harwood here. Um, I have a quick little lesson on writing about grief through humor, um, which is part of a workshop that I was planning to give with Malia Collins and Tyler Brewington um, for StoryFort. Um, and it's a pretty timely topic, given that we're all um, in quarantine or self-isolating or social distancing right now. So I thought I'd uh, just quickly share my thoughts on writing about grief through humor. Um, rule number one for me is to be honest and vulnerable, um, about your shortcomings. So, um, this sometimes means 
writing about things that aren't flattering about yourself or embarrassing moments or that um, you're not really proud of. Um, but it's really only through those details that we um, access the humor of a situation. Um, and I can speak from experience that it's also really sort of liberating um, to write about those things. Number two, um, details and specifics make a story more universal. And this seems sort of counterintuitive if you're trying to throw a wide net around a readership. Um, but actually, it's through those um, really specific details, uh, your idiosyncrasies, the, the way you see the world um, very specifically through your eyes that create an intimate relationship um, with your reader. Um, and that in terms uh, makes your story more universally appealing. A really generic story and generic humor isn't really funny. Um, and it doesn't keep your reader going. So number three, uh, find your voice. And this is a little easier said than done. Uh, but one trick I have for accessing my voice when I'm writing, especially when I'm starting a new piece, is to envision a really specific reader or audience um, and write uh, my first draft as though I'm telling the story to them. Uh, and I think that this works really well because it allows you to access your uh, true vocabulary, the way you tell a story, your punchlines, um, the anecdotes that you would use to tell a story in a funny way. Um, so just an idea for a first draft. You always end up revising, but that's a way to access the voice from the start. Um, number four, keep your dialogue short and your physical description vivid. Um, I think it's really uh, sort of an easy trap to fall into to try to want to fit everything, all the details into your dialogue. Um, but that's not really how people speak. And it oftentimes sounds clunky. So um, the best dialogue I find that I write is usually really spare. Um, and I fill in the gaps and I fill in the humor with the details surrounding that dialogue. Um, so not all of what's going on in that scene is happening through, you know, in the quotes. Um, so make use of that other way of telling the story um, through those details surrounding a quote. Uh, and number five, finally, ground your story in the true emotion of the moment. Um, I think especially when we're writing about uh, tragedy or something sad, um, through a humorous lens, we can't lose sight of the in, like the true emotion of that experience. Um, when we do, it, I think it falls flat and it turns into sort of more of a skit or a slapstick humor. And that's not really memorable or meaningful in the end. Um, I think of David Sedaris's essay, um, uh, Ashes, um, which was, I think, in his collection called Naked but it's available online. And it's um, an essay where he talks about finding out that his mom is dying of cancer. And he never really loses the, the gravity of the situation, but, he, um, but he's able to infuse it with humor and the surrounding details. Um, so that's a great read if you're looking for something uh, that would um, kind of thread that line. So those are my five rules. I also have a writing prompt to throw out for anyone stuck at home and wanting something to do. Um, so if you want to put these rules into practice, um, I thought it might be fun to um, 
think about your um, own kind of tragic experiences while in uh, quarantine or social distancing at home um, and to write a letter to a friend or family member describing your present situation. Um, Remember to be specific, to write it from your own voice and to ground your story in the true emotion of the um, uh, the moment. Um, But I think there's tons of opportunity for humor here. So um, thank you for listening. I hope you write um, something for this prompt and share it with StoryFort. Maybe we'll see what people come up with. Thanks a lot, guys. I hope to see you in September. Okay, so we have come to our final StoryFort artist for this episode, a guy named Jamie Ford, who was at StoryFort 2019 and rocked it. Uh, he is a fancy New York Times bestseller. He has uh, perhaps his best-known book, uh, Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet. Uh, he's going to talk about that, uh, but he also has a couple of other novels, uh, Love and Other Constellation Prizes and Songs of Willow Frost. Uh, he's a funny guy, and i got to say, there's a really interesting, fun letter he's going to read he got from a fan Full disclosure, there are a couple of, shall we say, naughty words in this letter. So if you have tender ears, we'll say, cover them up or skip through to the end. And anyway, it's really fun and surprising and a good way to end, I feel like, for this episode amidst this uh, pandemic and amidst kind of a crazy, uncertain time. um, There's some great levity here and uh, passion within this letter he's going to read from this fan. Uh, so go ahead, take this in and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll catch you next time. And, uh, thanks for listening. Hi there. I'm Jamie Ford and I'm an author and I wrote, well, I've written three books, but the one I'm most known for is this book, Hotel in the Corner of, uh, you know what? Um, and that book did really well. And when you have a book that sticks around for a while, um, what happens is you get a lot of correspondence from from readers, and so you get tons of email messages and tweets and uh, even messages through Instagram. And so instead of reading you a portion from the book, I'm going to read you the best piece of correspondence I've ever received in my life. Um, and this comes from a student. And what happens was was uh, this book is is read widely in schools now. So some colleges, some intrepid middle schools, but really the high school level is where that that book is found purchase. So because of that, I get a lot of uh, messages from high school uh, students. And uh, I'm going to share this one with you because this is the best piece of mail you can ever receive. Dear Jamie Ford, the book Hotel on the Corner of Bitter and Sweet was a really good book up until page 369. You sick, twisted bitch. I hate you so much. Why? Why, Jay? Why? Why you do that? Why you make me cry in the car on the way to ziplining? Why the fuck would you do that to all the people who were forced to read this shitty book? At first I hated this book, but then Keiko and Henry made me almost sort of tolerate this book. But no, you had to put in Ethel. That witch and pathetic, backstabbing, heartbreaking stealer of how the book was supposed to end. Page 369 broke my heart like more than when my lizard died. And do you know how much I died when my lizard died? Try almost actually dying. So the only way to make this up to me is to write a sequel and make sure that Henry and Keiko end up together and have awesome Chinese and Japanese babies. P.S. I don't mean to be mean or anything. This is just my opinion. Um, 
and there you have it. The best uh, bit of fan mail you could ever receive in your writing career. Um, I've received it early on in mine, and we will never be topped. Um, and with that, uh, let's see what else do I got going. Next year, I'll have a new book uh, coming out from Simon & Schuster. I don't have a name for it yet, but it's about epigenetic inheritance, about uh, trauma passed down from one generation to the next. Uh, I have stories coming out this fall in two collections. One is called Don't Turn Out the Lights, and it's a tribute to Alvin Schwartz's uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is really popular with uh, uh, middle grade kids. So I have a, uh, a middle grade horror story in there, which was pure joy to write. And I also have a story coming out in a collection this fall called Stories from Suffragette City, which commemorates the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote. And I think there's 14 authors who are all in this collection. 12 are women, and they did invite two uh, authors with Y chromosomes, and I was one of the lucky two. So I have a story in there about a suffragette named Mabel Lee, who was a Chinese suffragette, that she marched in the parade in uh, New York City in Washington, D.C. She fought for women's suffrage, even though when the 19th Amendment was passed, she herself would not be able to vote because she was Chinese. So anyway, it's an interesting bit of lost history, and it's the kind of thing that I really enjoy. And I'll just get out of here. And uh, I love being a part of Story Fort. Keep supporting it. Stay well. And I'll talk to you later. Okay, then. That is it. That is our episode. Uh, I want to say thanks to all the wonderful artists who shared their videos um, and their audio and their insights and just their hearts with us um, in this episode. And you can find at our Facebook page, Story Fort, um, all these videos, if you want to watch them, share them, um, take them in a couple times for some wisdom, some art. And we also want to say thanks once again to Eavesdrop Studios, who have, uh, we are not at the studio right now, but they help put this thing out in the world. And once, you know, we get back to a normalized time, we will be back in their palatial studios um, here in Boise, Idaho. I want to say thanks to um, this Tree Four Music Fest in general for helping us launch this podcast and supporting us. And if you want to find out more about Tree Fort and uh, get your updates at uh, treefortmusicfest.com. And then, gosh, all I really want to say is that uh, in September, the 23rd through 27th, we shall see you at the fest. Tomorrow never came